and welcome to the edition podcast with me, Charlotte Henry. We've got quite a news-packed, jam-packed week to get through today. I'm really pleased that the Irish independence Adrian Weckley is with me. How are, you, how are you doing, Adrian? I'm great. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks for asking me. No, really pleased to have you on this new show. Now, there's a couple of big stories obviously going around in tech. Let's start with the biggest one, our friend Elon Musk. Now, we did a whole show on Elon Musk and Twitter last week, so I don't want to do too much more. But I wanted to get your perspective on it, because obviously there is a huge Twitter office in Dublin where you're based. Um, you've been doing a lot of reporting on the reaction of, you know, it's easy with these companies just just focus on the Silicon Valley reaction. But you've been looking into uh, what has been going on in the Dublin office and people who are not in Silicon Valley. What's what would it kind of been your take from what you, when you've been speaking to people? Horror. Right. So- so basically, there's a deep sense of unease in Twitter in Dublin, which employs over 500 people. And that's because part of what Twitter does in Dublin is much of the trust and safety work. And as an interface uh, with the European Commission, that Elon Musk is currently downgrading publicly on Twitter. And he's currently humiliating some of the most senior executives that are in charge of that. That work, or a lot of it, is done in Dublin. And it's a very short walk from that office to the offices of TikTok, of Meta, of Google, of Salesforce, um, and many other huge companies that are within a two kilometer radius of that. And they're all looking for trust and safety staff, including Spotify, which has just, which is in train uh, of launching a trust and safety um, office here in Dublin as well. So, the, the mood here and the reaction here to what Elon Musk has been saying publicly is really bad. It couldn't really be worse. It's, it's fascinating to hear this because I think it bears emphasising quite how crucial Dublin and offices in Dublin are to the EU arms of major tech companies. It's very easy for me to say in London, oh, they're all based around here and in King's Cross, but obviously that's not an EU office anymore. And the... Irish, the predominantly Dublin-based offices, are very important for these companies. Yes, uh, many of the company's most senior policy, public policy and strategy executives are based here in Dublin. Dublin is becoming now a hub for those kind of roles, uh, regulatory roles in particular. It's one of the reasons that TikTok has scaled from a couple of hundred people to 2,000 people here wow. in the last That's a huge um, two years, and they're moving to about 3,000. So many cities have their specialties. Um, Dublin's arg- arguably 10 years ago, Dublin's was around tax and financial management or as IT support. Now it's moving into things like regulation, uh, trust and safety. Um, many of the people who would be in senior positions here deal directly with the European Commission, would deal with governments uh, around the EU. So they're the ones that have to parlay what they're seeing and hearing from Elon Musk as the future owner of Twitter into answers to questions that government ministers and European Commission officials have for them. So they're, they're, on the, they're the ones who... Mar- Margaret Vestergaard, who you know, who is in charge of this stuff for the EU, and her teams—they're the ones having to deal with those questions. It's not the people in Silicon Valley generally. Very, very much so, yeah, and that's the reason why they build these offices up here to have people on the ground who understand the regulatory cl- climate, who can advise. 
them back in the States in Silicon Valley. This is coming down the line. That's coming down the line. These are the ducks we need to get in a row. These are the changes that we have to do. So the Data Protection Commissioner in Dublin, for example, will regularly meet with Facebook, Mm -hmm. uh, with other huge tech companies to discuss the pros and cons of features that may or may not be launched to see if she would have a problem with them. And they often make decisions on new features on that basis. Of course, yeah. Um, you know, you've written about, I've written about, we've discussed many clashes that major tech companies have had uh, over, you know, all sorts of digital rights things related to the EU. It's a, it's a huge it's a huge issue. So it's really, I'm really pleased to have you on the show this week just to kind of underline that. And of course, one of the things you were referring to was Elon Musk's perceived attack on Vijaya Gad, who is the, you know, runs legal in, for Twitter. She's obviously based in Silicon Valley out in the US, but is mm. the, kind of the most senior person in that area for Twitter. And it did not go down well when it, Elon Musk seemed to have a go at her. And so if the you know if you, the teams where you are are ultimately answering to her and her reports, you can yeah. see where the through line is. I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, but the way I feel about it is quite apart from you know the private misgivings of Twitter staff in Dublin, where on earth is Pora Gagarwal? Where on earth is Twitter's CEO? Where's Jack Dorsey? Yes. So one of their well, most senior colleagues is trashed on Twitter, like trashed via an Elon Musk meme for over eight, with over 80 million people. And Porg Agarwal comes out with this general generic tweet about how proud he is of the staff and it's important to ignore the noise. The noise. Yeah, Musk who's, singled who's, her out. Who's making the noise, yeah. Yeah, and also, who's in charge of the company when these decisions that Musk doesn't like? Yeah. Who's CEO? What, what, was it VJ? No, it wasn't. It was it was Jack Dorsey. Yeah. Where is Jack Dorsey? Well, I think a lot of people have made the point that actually the you know there was a couple of issues. Who I think he was particularly referring to the New York Post story about the Hunter Biden laptop being taken off social media. And I don't want to relitigate last week's show, but ultimately, you know that goes right, right, right. No, but we're, we're, we, we're not talking even necessarily about the content of what Musk is yeah. talking about. Everybody's entitled to you know to feel a certain way. Does he have to do it like that? That's I mean, what I, I wrote this in the piece I wrote last week, kind of, you know, I'm very comfortable with the idea of free speech. I don't quite totally get the Elon Musk freak out, but he doesn't help himself by attacking people like Vijay Gad, does he? Well, it's not just that he doesn't help himself. He's going to run into serious regulatory and potential financial difficulties here in Dublin yeah. and in the EU if and when he does um, take the helm at Twitter. Because a lot of the stuff that he's talking about now um, won't pass muster under the Digital Services Act in the European Union. It won't pass muster in countries like Germany. We have very, very specific yep. Laws. We talk about free speech, and a lot of it's nuanced, and a lot of it it's very difficult. Or should, or at least should be. Yes, but sometimes we make a call mm -hmm. in Germany, for example, and many EU countries. Um, you're not allowed to deny the Holocaust. Yes, okay? you're not allowed to do. Now, in America, you are. So that's protected free speech. In Europe, in many European countries, it's not. Now, we can argue about the pros and cons of that. However. It is clear that in Europe, for the most part, we have made a call on that. Okay. And, and even Elon Musk can't 
specific countries in the EU have made calls on that yeah. based on, I mean, the example you give, there's very obvious reasons why yeah. that would be the case. But there, there are other issues like that. Indeed. And what Musk ha- is going to find is when he takes the helm of Twitter and when he, you know, he consults with his uh, senior executives on the legal and regulatory environment that he has to adhere to or face fines of 6% of global turnover every year in the European yes. Union, he's going to find that he has to play ball. It's not really up to him. And it's the people here in Dublin who are the ones who are going to have to advise him and to you know to manage that. So either he pulls out of the European Union or he goes back on many of the most important things that he has set up to now and gets called a traitor yeah, by his mates on that. HN or, or, or wherever. Um, but he's going to have to um, buckle. And, anyway, yeah, and he's... Long-winded uh, answer. No, it's, I'm really, really grateful for you to give that perspective because it, obviously I have a different, I'm sitting in a different, you know, regulatory environment now in London. We, you, there are, you know, there are online harms acts coming through here. Um, the issues in the US, as you say, are completely different to the ones Twitter faces in the EU. And a lot of them are dealt with, though, in the EU. So I'm really grateful for your perspective. And What's interesting, part of this, the reason I bring this, I brought this up from the start is because one of the reactions, particularly on the user side, not just the company side, is people going, oh, well, if Elon Musk takes uh, over Twitter, I'm quitting. Um, And as I wrote in that piece last week, I am unconvinced of this. And I was similarly unconvinced when lots of people said there would be a boycott of Spotify because of some of the rather revolting things that Joe Rogan had said, um, including his use of the N-word and some of the stuff that was, if not veering towards anti-vax, distinctly anti-vax, depending on which example you want to pick, I think we could say. Um, It turns out people did not quit Spotify in droves, did they? Neil Young did not win that row. Um, And uh, there were rather record results for Spotify, weren't there? Yeah, Spotify had its quarterly results uh, last week, and it, it showed um, uh, user statistics generally up 20%, uh, double-digit increases in engagement with podcasts, which is the, the exactly the segment it is trying to grow and exactly the reason why it uh, signed Joe Rogan. Anywhere between 100 million and $200 million, yeah, depending on which number, yeah. report uh, you read. And we spoke around the time of this controversy, and I posited a view to you that Daniel Ek was making a cold-hearted calculation based on research that he and the Spotify team had obviously looked at, that they, you know, when it came time to make a call between Joe Rogan and Neil Young and many of Spotify staff who would have been on Neil Young's side, yeah, that the only commercially set, the only commercially sensible one to do, based on the data that he had, was to back Joe Rogan. In, in other not, words, yeah, not write off a hundred to two hundred million dollar investment. Yeah. He, and as it turns out, as you've pointed out, not only did people not leave Spotify, not only did Spotify's base grow, but other artists didn't leave Spotify. And this was a point I was making to you at the time. You know, if, you know, we Taylor, Taylor Swift, or, the Taylor Swift or, yeah, if, the, if they leave, then it becomes an issue of Spotify is not a complete catalog. It doesn't have the mainstream music I want. They, none of them did. 
And that meant that this was really um, an unpleasant episode. It highlighted some things about Joe Rogan and his podcast, which a lot of people, a lot of us felt were pretty unsavory and unfortunate. But ultimately, um, the economics of it all pointed, and this is a very age-old story when it comes to media anyway, it's very difficult. You don't ever really bet on media like failing or sliding away based on a controversy. It's usually the opposite effect. Mm. And that's what happened here. Yeah, uh, I should emphasize that I think if Joe Rogan were here, and he is more than welcome to come on this brand new show if he would like to join me and discuss this. I'll give him a Um, call. Yeah, exactly. Thanks. Uh, He would point out he's not anti-vax. He was just asking questions. Uh, He would also point out that he has apologized uh, for the, for the racist language he used it was recorded to use. I'm not mm. making that. You know, he would say he had done that. So I think that's worth saying. Whether that makes yes. any difference to your one's view of him is a personal choice. Yeah. Um, let's also re-emphasize some of these numbers from Spotify: 15% year-on-year growth in premium subscribers, which means there's now 182 million premium s- subscribers on Spotify, um, and that was even with 1.5 million disconnects in Russia because Spotify pulled out of Russia. I mean, and in one sense, and I'm being a little provocative here. Perfect. It is good that there is a heavyweight independent or quote unquote independent rival to Apple here in the music space. There, Two or three years ago, there was a distinct worry that Apple was going to bulldoze its way to the top of the you know, digital music and digital podcast world cement its position and lock it all up the, the, the way it has done in, in, in other markets. And the fact that Spotify has kept its own momentum going, however you feel about how it has done that, at the very least means some quote unquote diversity in the ecosystem in terms of what provider uh, you can choose. Um, yes, you can listen to this show on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So, you know, we're always open to multiple channels. Um, but I suspect, actually, if you really got to the core of it, Apple is quite pleased that there's a challenger because it re- removes the antitrust scrutiny it faces in this space because it can say, us? You're talking to us? No. Mm. Look at Spotify. Look at how many people use Spotify. Yeah. We're not a monopoly here. Apple's sweet spot often is to take about a third of the market, but make sure that damn well is the third that spends the most money and uh, and allows them to avoid the accusation that they dominate the market or that they have a monopoly on the market. Although, as we're finding out now with um, uh, Commissioner Margaret Steyer in in the European Commission with uh, Apple Pay and Tap to Pay and mobile wallets, um, you know, having just a chunk of it doesn't mean that you're immune from being accused of having a dominant position. And by the no, way, the, the yeah. example I always think of in this is smartphones and smartphone operating systems yeah. where Apple always goes, we don't even, you know, more people use Android. What are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, absolutely. And increasingly, though that is literally true, increasingly it doesn't wash as a get out of jail card for all complaints from the European Commission, particularly when you look at the uh, the percentages of how much commerce happens and how much is bought and sold on which platform. And iOS has a, it, it, it definitely does have a majority 
of the commercial activity there. And actually, look, I, I give Apple a, a lot of due and a, you know a lot of, of credit where it is due. But to be fair, the European Commission does have a point here. Just because you pioneer a payment mechanism or a payment ecosystem or even an app store, everybody gives Apple a lot of due for that. And Apple has made an awful lot of money from it. That doesn't mean that you get to lock it up for 50 years and keep arguing that because you came up with the idea um, uh, that you you get to resist all forms of competition, um, it, it doesn't really make a competitive sense. You, you've been too successful, you might argue, because you've now convinced us all, we're all convinced that we should use Apple Pay or mobile wallets to buy stuff. That's fantastic. Well done, Apple. You've got a place now in the history books and we thank you for your culture com- uh, contribution yeah, yeah. but now please open it up well uh yes and this is actually the argument with podcasts frankly you know where you know we can argue which came first the chicken or the egg but the ipod and itunes helped bring podcasts to the mainstream that's how yeah. i first got into listening to podcasts like many many people and it pioneered helped pioneer that um, has without really making money from podcasts directly always had stuff on hand and you know systems in place uh, to make podcasting good for apple users but by the uh, way the, the greatest product gadget in my lifetime the ipod 100 100 percent. the greatest i mean there have been lots but if you depict one it's the Which is amazing because you're only 25 so <laughs> I'm almost twice 25. <laughs> but um, uh, the absolute excitement when I first... Oh, amazing. Uh, it, it, it was the transition to digital. I mean, yes, yeah, smartphones, great. They, they have changed our lives, but not in such a joyous way, not in such a celebration of technology. Like this, this was a thing. It enhanced everybody's life, I think. Anybody who likes digital and tech stuff. Definitely. And just people who like music, frankly. I mean, yeah. I remember you're going to, this is going to age me now. I, at the big, you know, during school, t- going to school, walking to school, listening, first of all, to a CD Walkman, making, trying to make sure you didn't knock the CD so it skipped. And then suddenly having, and having to decide what album you fancied listening to before. And then yeah. suddenly having your whole, library in your pocket it was uh yeah i i totally agree with you and also the added benefit on the main streets of dublin when mm. i was uh taking the top deck of the bus in which is where all the smokers were you weren't allowed to smoke and smoked mm. anyway you could take out the first ipod listen to it nobody had a clue what it was so it wasn't in danger of getting nicked oh so, no in london you were a target if you had the white headphones right right that singled yeah. you out eventually but um it the point my, my point is how instinctively we link apple to podcasts and digital audio in general and i think you're right to point out that spotify being a proper challenger and in some places superseding apple is no bad thing Mm. um do you i mean do you think spotify will get to a point where they become come under scrutiny for as you put it earlier being too successful in this space they, they may do, they have some way to go in that sense, in so far as by definition of the type of service that they are, which is still largely a standalone service without the 
tentacles of other services, you know, um, tying you down to things. It it seems like it's uh, a lot farther off. Be very interesting to see what they do in the area of podcasts, spoken word, um, and how that market develops in general, and whether or not it crosses over into a more general media market. I, I'm coming back again to a regulatory uh, discussion here, but in five or 10 years, it's not hard to see Spotify and maybe Apple being judged in some of the same regulatory ways as media companies and how that will, if and when that happens, how does that change the perception of their giant subscription base, um, You know how they deliver content, the market power that they have? That might be a back way into that kind yeah, of regulatory. I mean, we, we're seeing this a bit, aren't we, with Netflix, uh, which had the opposite quarter to Spotify losing uh, you know, a big well, company. now to be fair, they only lost a handful of subscribers and, and actually, terms, but it was it obviously was significant because it was the first time in a decade that, we yeah. And but if you take and if you take the Russian subscribers yeah. they had to walk away from, they actually would have gained had they not pulled yes. out of Russia. But but I take your point, it's the first time it's been even close, right? Uh, and yeah. but you're the point about Russia is well made. Um, and but we're seeing, for example, Spotify, uh. Netflix freaking out about original content. Obviously, big news here that they have dropped uh, Meghan Markle's, the Sussex's first thing that they were going to do for them. Mm. Um, and it's kind of playing around doing things like games and dipping its toes into those markets. Apple obviously has that as well in the sense that it, uh, you know, as part of the Apple One bundles, you can get games, music, TV, the whole lot. Mm. Um, which which is obviously different to uh, what Spotify can offer. Uh, and Spotify has been pretty resolute. I guess the interesting thing would be if Spotify went, oh, audiobooks. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, although I, I don't know how big a market audiobooks is. I think sometimes that Audible gets a lot of its money from people just not bothering to use up the credit. I, st- I permanently have like six credits in my Audible <laughs> yeah, I've been in that position, uh, thing. Yeah. And, and yeah. I go to download another one. And I realize, well, actually the 36 hour tome that you downloaded three months ago, you're still only a third of the way yeah, through yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah. you're a quitter if you go on to another one. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure how profitable a market that is, but I, th- I suspect that the way the commission, the way that Europe, which, by the way, sets the agenda and the template for most of the rest of the world. So the way the big well, the conversation we've been having for the last 20 minutes has kind of been on the assumption that what Europe does, and I do mean the EU as opposed yeah. to European nations. The content, yeah. Yeah. Whether it's Elon Musk, whether it's Spotify or Apple, generally speaking, rewrites a lot of the biggest tech firms own internal uh, regulatory rules and yeah, changes the way that they make products. We've seen some exceptions to that. I'm thinking of um, the reader apps thing that basically came from Japan. Apple mm. had to respond to that because of yes. changes that happened in Japan. But I think as a general point, you're right. Um, away from the regulatory side, I guess the question people, either you know, users, investors, people who care about Spotify are asking now is okay that was a good quarter what next um and connected to that is how much of the what next is about original content Mm. 
Yes, um, we know that uh, Spotify and Daniel they're quite enthusiastic, keen on original content. I mean, they set out their stall with the kind of money that they're putting into to podcast uh, content, for example. Um, I haven't heard of any other big deals being inked, though, recently. Have you? No, it's interesting since the, all the furore around Joe Rogan and first of all, all the clamour around that original deal, then the fallout from it, from that incident we were discussing. Yeah. Um, there hasn't really been any of those big names signing. I, indeed, am I right in saying that actually some of those deals have collapsed? I'm thinking of the Obamas. Am I right in saying that that has actually sort of broken apart that deal? Mm. Yeah, it- this signals from the market in general about the value of spoken word. They're kind of mixed. Obviously, Apple had its feature for Apple Watch, which was introduced last year, which were those sort of four minute, five minute, 10 minute stories with Dolly Parton or um, a number of other celebrities. The Malcolm and, Gladwell one is actually really enjoyable. Is it? Okay, I haven't heard that one. I but, went for a walk uh, with Malcolm Gladwell a while back. Yeah. It was a delight. Yeah. And it was kind of nice. I've listened to a, a few of them. It's not apparent to me that that opened up a lot of buzz or a new market. Um, it's just it, it's part of the kind of fitness plus offering. I think of that more as part of the health and fitness offering as opposed to the... Um, yeah. The, yeah. the, the audio offering, but it's interesting you put, bring them together like that. Well, it's trying to measure and value the contribution of that as an add-on feature and what value that brings. And it doesn't appear to me that it has necessarily enhanced. I don't know. And maybe Apple might have internal figures to suggest otherwise. They often confound and surprise mm. pundits and critics by saying, well, actually, you've been mouthing off about this for three or four years. You're totally wrong. And here are the figures. Here are the, here are the sales figures. Um, and we should also always remember that a lot of what Apple does ultimately is in furtherance of selling actual products as opposed to the services themselves. It's different, yeah. Although that's obviously changed slightly. Yeah, yes. But all that said, where will Spotify go with this? What are its opportunities? Is it in um, another huge uh, acquisition like Joe Rogan? Is it in regional um, big names? There are a few here in Ireland, for example, who are relatively, who've become relatively big. Uh, in the podcast world, and some of them are being snapped up by national radio, so they get the, you know, and they deliver an audience for the radio stations. Is that what Spotify is going to try to do? If so, which markets will it focus on first? Does it have the cash to do this as well? And Spotify is not especially rich uh, company; um, its profits are pretty slim. Yeah, um, I mean, it, given the numbers we just we've relayed throughout the show, it's not. You know, we're not talking Apple levels of profit and revenue, no. are we? No, and we're not talking 10-year investment cycles either. <clears throat> Excuse me. We're talking four- to five-year investment cycles at best. Mm. Joe Rogan was a tentpole acquisition. He had the numbers to back it up. It wasn't that hard to make that uh, argument as an investment. But Apple does things with a much longer timeline <clears throat> in view, like Amazon does. So... It's not apparent to me that um, Spotify has the money to go around and grab 
I don't know. This is a really bad example, but Piers Morgan, let's say if his <laughs> new talk show ends up being a success and it's hard to judge whether it is or it isn't yeah. on some respects it is. And on others, it's still quite, you know, uh, modest, but if Spotify were to say, well, okay, we're going to bet on Piers Morgan. We're going to grab him away from Rupert Murdoch. Uh, you know, would they spend 50 million uh, doing that? He wouldn't be worth what Joe Rogan is, but he might be worth a quarter of what Joe Rogan is. Would, would they splash out on that? I think I think maybe that's where we'll see clues. Interesting. Well, it, 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 I, I think you're right. The, ne- the next set of big investments oh. and who they are and frankly, whether they happen or not is what's going to be interesting to watch with Spotify. Adrian, thank you so much for joining me to unpack these stories, which kind of on the same face of it don't seem like they're linked, but I actually think in lots of ways they are. And I, I'm really pleased I had you to unpack it. Where can people keep up with your reporting on Twitter and all the other yeah. things you dig into? I'm Twitter. I'm on I'm at Adrian Weckler. If you want to see things like sunsets and surfing, I'm on Instagram or uh, otherwise you'll see me in the Irish Independent, which is independent.ie. Yep, you can keep up with Adrian's reporting there. I'm now over at theedition.substack.com. So do join me there. And of course, tell, share with friends and family. And this podcast is available both through Substack and wherever you normally listen to your show. So thank you so much for joining me, Adrian. Thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.